Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Hello, welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. In this episode, we're going to continue our series on the four loves with part two. We're going to talk about friendship. And uh, so I don't think we have anything else to talk about before we do that, but we have to say the thing. So we book have some business. We have book and business to deal with. So we're talking about four <laughs> loves. Really quick, kind of a, as, as we've talked about it, we found a good way to kind of summarize our thoughts is each of these four loves has like he Lewis defines them, but then he kind of defines or describes them based on their conditions. So we looked at affections and he goes to a lot of length to describe how affection is this like general love and it's really substanced in substanced. It's substance is in familiarity. And so like you can be very familiar with people. You're not necessarily friends with them. You're not in love with them romantically. Uh, you're not like sacrificing your life for them in charity, but you have this affection. So the condition is this familiarity. And so as we progress through them, so friendship, there's a condition he's going to give us, which is a very distinct similarity, not a familiarity, but a similarity, like a subject that they like or an idea. Like he, he talks about, they both want to find the truth of something in an, in an essence. There's an aboutness to their relationness relationship. And then when we get to Eros, which Tim will talk about, if you had to say, what would you put the condition of Eros to be? The condition? Yeah, it's like condition of affection is familiarity. Used after like the romantic yeah, like, connection. Is that what you, is there, is that the best way you think you'd say it? Or I'll think about it. Maybe I'll have a better word by the end of the session. By the session. next time we get to another episode. So there's, I, I think that like a defining quality of Eros is a romantic love. And then charity would be the one that has no condition. So you have familiarity, similarity, something that Tim will come up with and nothing, no condition. Um, so let's jump into friendship chapter two. I think we all agree. I think this is probably our favorite chapter. Yes. I, I, I like this one a lot. I think this is Lewis at his best. Uh, and as far as love, uh, friendship is the component of love that, um, that Lewis is best prepared and um, knowledgeable to speak on. And why is that? Because of his friends. Yeah. Well, so I think why this chapter is so well-defined is because what did he do for years? Like right. he was good buddies, go to the pub, write books, joke around, be a, an Oxford Don. Like this was his life for 50 something years where he was like, it wasn't, he had affection for people, but he had a close group of friends, friends. and the inklings. What were they familiar, not just familiar with what were they, what did they have in common? What was the similarity? It, like they loved truth and writing. Mm-hmm. Like they loved the life of the mind and yeah. that focused them. I was going to say thinking. That was the similarity is the thinking. And, uh, and he, very late in his life became romantically involved, like specifically. Um, yeah. The Eros chapter is really not, I don't think that. But good. so I think he, Lewis with just the way his life unfolded was very uniquely equipped to help us philosophically think through what friendship is. And that's, we would agree. This is mm-hmm. probably the best chapter. And that is one of the reasons is that he was just, he, he I think he knows what he's talking about here. So, he tells us what friendship is. He tells us what friendship is not. Okay. So really quickly, um, what is friendship? And he, he describes these people who find that they have the same thing that they, uh, that they like. So this is actually nestled in a section where he's just, he's telling you what it's not. So one of the things friendship is not, is not just a companionship. It's not just being around people, rubbing shoulders with in a general sense. It's a specific similarity. So friendship, this is page 83, friendship arises out of mere companionship, 
when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which the others do not share and which, until that moment, each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. We can imagine that among those early hunters and warriors, single individuals, one in a century, one in a thousand years, saw what others did not, saw that deer was beautiful as well as edible, that hunting was fun as well as necessary, dreamed that his gods might be not only powerful but holy. So he's, he's getting into this like, like in primitive humanity, they needed to hunt. But it wasn't just like, oh, we have to. It was like, oh, I like this. <laughs> like, I like killing deer and eating them. This is fun. <laughs> and, and like that, that gives you the picture. It's not just like, hey, guys, if we don't, if we don't kill deer, our tribe dies, which was true. Mm-hmm. There was a companionship that they had to hunt. They had to do things. But there was an added aspect. Out of that companionship of hunting was a, I like this. Wait, you like it too? Ah, let's do it together. Like, so there's a um, very specific similarity. And so that's friendship is not just a companionship, but out of that infrastructure of something that you're doing, there's like a very specific, what he called it, a unique treasure, a taste, um, an insight or interest. And it's like we mentioned with the Inklings, they love to think. And that is, you know, by the way, why we are doing what we're doing. There's a reason why we called this the thinklings. It's very similar. And so friendship is that unique insight, unique similarity that arises out of companionship. But companionship is only the, he says it on the previous page, it's only the matrix of friendship. It is not friendship. It's like you can't just force kids to play together and they magically become friends. Like the proximity makes them friends. But as people interact and like, wait, you like you like that thing? I like that thing. Boom, there's friendship. So friendship is not companionship. It is when two or more companions discover that they have in common some insider interest that until that moment they thought was their own. And like, oh, you like Lord of the Rings? Oh, you are a Christian? Oh, you like killing deer? You know, inter- fill in the blank. So similarity. So I wonder how remote the interest can be or maybe that's what strengthens or deepens a friendship for example lord Mm -hmm. of the rings there's a lot of people that like lord of the rings so that might be some kind of a friendship but how close is that kind of a friendship exactly that that, it depends i think it's not really a word that we're going to go into so for example instead oh you like tom bombadil too yeah because I don't really care about him. Yeah. So I would maybe differentiate that there, if we really wanted to get picky and create some other subcategories to Lewis, I think under fellowship and like a Venn diagram, if you have a big orb that is friendship, you have another orb that is charity, and then there's an orb that connects them which would be fellowship. Like in the love of God, we do like similar things in a friendly way, but it's also very God-like and it's, it's sacrificial. Like fellowship isn't, uh, oh, I like that too type of a vibe to it. Um, so fellowship would be maybe an idea of that where there's differing levels of intimacy or depth to, to friendship. And obviously when you get into like a worship category, which, you know, we think of worship like theologically, but, you know, what do like very snobby artists do? They worship the high forms of art together. Like, oh, that low junk. I don't like that. I like this over here. You don't even understand this music. Like, mm-hmm. th- there's a, there's a, yeah. And, and Lewis talks about that, by the way, chapter one and two. There's an appreciative pleasure in our loves that can become like idolatrous. You can worship it. And that would happen with the arts or with beauty in the same sense that we would rightfully worship God. Um, So that would be my answer to that question. So he says it's not companionship. Companionship is the, the infrastructure, the matrix out of which this common insight, this similarity arises. 
He also makes another caveat that it's not just a suppressed erotic love. So he's, he's building his categories and there is at the time he's writing it and certainly has progressed in our modern culture that there's this idea, I don't know if I want to say psychologically, but where like male friendships are just the expression of a suppressed homosexuality or you could, you could put that on both genders or whatever matrix that falls onto now, but how we build friendships with same gender because what we actually want is a romantic relationship with them, but within our whatever culture, social structure, that's not okay. So we build quote unquote friendships as a way to fulfill this suppressed romantic desire. And he takes some length in this chapter to say that is false. And a quote that I could pull up for that is right on the first chapter of the page. This is not where he's talking about it, but historically philosophers had a very high view of friendship. And those same philosophers in their Roman and Greek context would have disdain for anything to do with homosexual behavior, at least in a general sense. I know culturally, sexual ethics in Roman and Greece, you have a lot of variance there. But at least from the idea of virtue and vice, they would not have in any way thought of friendship as a homosexual idea. And he kind of opens this idea where uh, it's on page 73, to the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it, or with this homosexual idea, debunks it. The modern mind will uh, explain away friendship. Oh, you're just living out suppressed homosexual desire. And no, actually, philosophers through the ages have looked at this idea of common bond through subject as a high school of virtue. Like you cannot have the good life without the friendship. And we had um, Jonathan, Dr. Uh, Jonathan Pennington on, and uh, we talked about this, that Aristotle and Nicomachean ethics uh, devotes a lot of length to friendship. Uh, It's like a classic work on philosophy exalting the idea of friends like that that love is a very good love and that you should want that in your life and so what is friendship common bond insight love taste for something that arises out of companionship the companionship is not friendship and friendship is not just this uh, illusion of of uh deviant homosexual or romantic desire friendship is one of the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life in the school of virtue. It is a very exalted position to have friends where you, hey, you like that too. Let's, let's focus on that together. And so two more, two more quotes here, uh, one of which was kind of the source and substance of our idea of this podcast Um, And it's on the mugs and t-shirts that we have printed and sold, which, uh, by the way, I think you can find those somewhere. (laughs) Where would we find those? Is there a specific location that has t-shirts with this quote on it? Yeah, fbbcbooks.com. fbbcbooks.com. And I will say, the new t-shirts that we have are ridiculously comfortable. They're my favorite. I love them so much. And so if you... Pun intended, if you love the Thinklings podcast. I have deep affection. Buy all the t-shirts. Anyway. Lots of store gay people. So the quote on that shirt, which is the source and substance of our, one of our big motives in this podcast is on page 88 of this chapter. And he's talking about, in context, how friendship is kind of uh, anti-authority in a sense, not not like disruptive, but uh, as as a society changes, it's actually little pockets of people focusing on things together, friends, who actually transform a culture or a society. Like that, It is important in that vein. I don't want to rip it out of context, but it is a nice little quote. Uh, the little knots of friends who turn their backs on the world are those who really transform it. Um, and he, he gets into like, you know, mathematics as a study begins with some Greeks like getting together and like doing math. And it's not like, you know, what, what practical value they didn't set out to like technologically advance society, but they had a love of 
like numbers and, and study of those things. And like, boom, you know, here we are, you know, imagine being the first people to think about calculus and physics and, you know, apply those to life. And at its base, where did that, you know, there isn't some like divine mandate of like, you, thou must add and multiply and divide and do calculus. It's like people loving those things together. And what did they do? They changed the society they were in. And this was actually a big idea for the Inklings is that they didn't want to get together and plan like, how are we going to change our culture? They were actually firm in their belief that if they just got together and did what they loved, it would have a positive effect on their culture. And what did they love? Thinking, philosophy, reading, writing, silly little fiction books about hobbits and lions and witches and wardrobes. Like all of that was just them getting together, little knot of friends, turning away from the the worldly culture and focusing on their love, their similar interest. And I think that they they wanted that group to affect their culture and their society in England through them doing what they love. And so that's that's why they did that for years you know every tuesday and thursday they'd meet at the at the pub or in their offices at the college and they would read what they're working on and you know crit- criticize each other's writing and all that they, they did that as a little group focusing on their shared love their shared insight interest subject matter and and the, i think they had not as a main goal but as a a confidence that that would eventually affect other people and so that's that's a great quote. And so we're we like sitting around and reading and talking about books. That's why we're doing it too. And I think we would have a same a similar confidence that as we just do what we love, it will have good things result. Um and then that that has always been my favorite quote from this chapter. I've always like the little knots of friends. That that that's my favorite quote. Until this read through. <gasps> What? I found another what? quote that is going to unseed, unseat that quote. Listener, you don't understand how big this is. Charlie literally had a name for our podcast based on the not quote. Mm-hmm. And now he's saying, oh, wow, I'm, I'm I, on the I edge of my seat, Charlie. No, I, can't, uh, I can't even find it. There we go. So, uh, so this is on page 90 and 91. I'm going to read a very big paragraph. But so he, he gives this illustration of how to describe the difference between eros and friendship. And he looks at like eros is like two lovers are face to face, you know, kissing, they're staring deep into each other's eyes. And like, that is a description of like this couple. And you, you know, just think of some couple, you know, and boom, it's not hard to miss that. Like they're, they're staring face to face. Imagine a wedding. Like here they are just like gazing into each other's eyes. And he says, friends are not like that. (laughs) Friends are not face to face. The illustration of friends is that they're side by side. They're both focusing on the same thing in front of them. They're working on the same thing. So there's that idea of this companionship, but it's not just a, we have to, there's a shared like of what they're working on. So they're shoulder to shoulder, side by side, focusing on that thing that made their friendship. So he's going to talk about that illustration and it, it just, it's a really spicy quote. So here we go. Page 90. When I spoke of friends as side by side or shoulder to shoulder, I was pointing a necessary contrast between their posture and that of the lovers whom we picture face to face. Beyond that contrast, I do not want the image pressed. What does he mean by that? He doesn't want the illustration to go too far. He's going to explain that. The common quest or vision which unites friends does not absorb them in such a way that they remain ignorant or oblivious of one another. So it's not as if they're shoulder to shoulder and they don't care about each other. They obviously don't care about each other in the same way that a romantic couple does. He's already talked about how friendship is not a suppressed romance. So if it's not a suppressed romance, but they do care for each other, what does that look like? Keep going. So it does not absorb them in in such a way that they remain ignorant or oblivious of one another. On the contrary, it is the very medium in which their mutual love and knowledge exist. One knows nobody so well as one's fellow. Every step of the common journey tests his mettle 
And the tests are tests we fully understand because we're undergoing them ourselves. So like you shoulder to shoulder watching other people go through the same things you go through, like shared common experience. Hence, because of that, as he rings true time after time, so he's referring to, Lewis is referring to this he as his friend that he's shoulder to shoulder with. As that friend rings true time after time, our reliance, our respect, and our admiration blossom into an appreciative love of a singularity, singularly robust and well-informed kind. So like we, we have this appreciation of who our friend is as we work on the thing together. If at the outset we had attended more to him and less to the thing our friendship is about, we should not have come to know or love him so well. So he kind of gets into this at another point where you don't, you don't set out to make friends and make friends. Like you love the things you love and your friends unite over the things you love. And so at the onset of a friendship, if you just focused on like, oh, I really want to get to know that person, it won't happen. That appreciation comes as you shoulder to shoulder, watch people struggle through life like you, and you, you gain a respect and an honor for them. So if you'd focused on trying to get to know them and love them right away, it wouldn't have happened. You got to focus on the thing your friendship is about. Then you will not find the warrior, the poet, the philosopher, or the Christian by staring in his eyes as if he were your mistress. Better fight beside him, read with him, argue with him, pray with him. Oh, that's good. That's the quote. You will not find the warrior, the poet, the philosopher, or Christian by staring in his eyes. You'd be better to fight with him, fight beside him, read with him, argue with him, pray with him. You want to know how to make make friends. You fight for the same things. You find that thing you love and you Hmm. fight for them. You read with them. You argue with them and you pray with them. That is a spicy quote. That's really good. And I don't think I could ever prove this, but I'm just wondering if when he says the warrior, the poet, the philosopher, the Christian, if he's referring to his little group of four. And I would think he would call himself the philosopher. I don't know which one of his close group he'd call the warrior, which one he would call the poet, which one he would call the Christian. I think there's general categories of yes. where people kind of build friendships. Well, but I, I think I, I would I I I would have to just believe that as he's writing that, he's thinking about his little group of four. Because hmm. the inklings was a wide group, but there was a tight group. What? He actually in this chapter mentioned two of them. He mentioned Charles Williams. Yeah. Right. And he mentioned he didn't mention uh did he, did he mention Ronald and he's referring to uh, Tolkien? I can't remember, but he did mention two. I remember yeah. him mentioning two. And so I'm just, I'm just wondering, hmm. I, I'm, maybe he didn't specifically, like, but I, I know he's thinking of people as he's writing that. His little group, and what did his little group do with each other? They loved these things, and like they fought together, and they fought for what they loved. And then they read about what they loved, and they argued with each other. Uh, Owen Barfield, one of his closest friends, in the inscription of his book, Poetic Diction, wrote, uh, opposition is true friendship. And he was writing that to, and he de- dedicated that to C.S. Lewis. To C.S. Lewis, opposition is true friendship. It's, it's like they loved this stuff together. They disagreed and they fought over it. And then they prayed together. That's just, I just love that. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, and so... If you, if you really, and I'll just, I'll, I'll end it with this and then we'll, okay, what did you guys think about it? But as you think about these four categories, the condition of friendship is that you have a thing. It's not, you don't set out to make friends, but you, you have a shared interest in something. And that can be Christian, uh, Christianity, theology, um, being in ministry together. Maybe it's something like that. Like, your pastors or you want to be in full-time ministry, you went to the same college, that would suffice to be a thing. Um, but if you want to build good friendships, you don't set out to build good friendships. <laughs> like you don't like, I'll get to know them better. And um, what do you do? 
fight for that thing that you have together, fight for that thing, like love that thing that you love, argue with them, pray with them, <laughs> like, you know, get shoulder to shoulder with someone and then get in the trenches. Um, and I just love that he, you know, some of those categories don't like fighting, argue, pray, but then right alongside of that, read with them. Hmm. And is that not the substance of this group? Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've done all four of those things. We fought for things we've loved. We've argued with each other. We've read things together. This is what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. We're reading through four loves and we pray with each other. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to build hmm. good friendships, there it is. Like find the thing you love and fight for it together. Read about it together. Argue with each other. You don't have to agree. You can disagree on things, but, and pray with each other. And boom, there you go. So that's friendship. The condition is that similarity. It's not a mere companionship. It's not a suppression of erotic desire. It is this chief school of virtue where you are in the trenches, shoulder to shoulder with someone, fighting for the things you love and spending time on those things together. Uh, so what do you guys think about that? I think it's really good. I would like to keep thinking through that idea that you just hit on. Back on pages 84 and 85, uh, we mentioned how Four Loves is kind of a conversation. Uh, Lewis regurgitates these ideas. Uh, Carter was reading from a later page. I've now lost it. But anyway, back on 84, 85, he's basically saying the same thing. In fact, he states, Hence, we picture lovers face to face, but friends side by side. Their eyes look ahead. Then on the very next page, 85, he talks about people who want friends. That is why those pathetic people who simply yeah. want friends can never make any. And at a Bible college and, and talking to college students who are coming to an institution where they might know a few people, but they don't know a lot, or they might want to make friends, and we encourage them to make friends. Well, how do you go about doing that? Well, Lewis, I think, has some very good insights here on how you go about making friendships, particularly lasting friendships. Um, and we can all, well, I'll just keep reading. I'm going to keep reading this quote. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. So if you want a friend, then the point is that you need to want something, and then the friend and you do that thing together. Now, I would like to even enter the conversation of, say, like video games, because video games are a place mm -hmm. where people like something and they like yep. the same thing. They'll play the game together and then they'll dissect it and talk about it and mm -hmm. discuss it. He uses the same illustration of the warrior, which is why Carter, when he hit on the idea of the warrior, I think that's an uh, age old connection where friendships are established because mm -hmm. you have two men, they're side by side and they're fighting and their lives depend on it. Uh, and so uh, a bond is created between those friends as they fight. Well, this, the video game seems to almost, shall we say, emulate yeah. that idea. Mimic. Yeah. Mimic, mm -hmm. that might be a better yeah. word. Either it, one. It, it mimics that idea of, hey, we are two warriors and we're fighting alongside mm -hmm. one another. And so it kind of builds the friendship where they collaborate together to conquer the the fake foe. Uh, so I didn't know if that would be a conversation point or something that we should uh, entertain is the role of video games in the relationship to friends. Now, before we yeah. open that up, you guys can jump in, but um, we, I use the Lord of the Rings as an illustration. Like it's such a broad thing that so many people like. So that, what does that not do? It's such a broad group. It's not specific. Yeah. If you have a specific entrance, interest like poetry, I mean, how many people are really interested in poetry? Like Dr. Boyd. Yeah. There are not many. One. Okay. And what are the, <laughs> what are the, in, uh, I think a couple other dudes might have something to say about that. Yeah. So think of his, think of his other categories, warrior, poet, philosopher. Yeah. How mm -hmm. many people are really interested in philosophy? Hey, watch it. Huh. So if you have, <laughs> if, or even if you develop an interest that's kind of idiosyncratic, it's almost like that becomes the connecting point, which can yeah. really bind a friendship a lot closer. For example, Greek. Mm-hmm. Or Hebrew mm -hmm. friendships are fostered in those classes because yep. you are looking at something else mm -hmm. and you're side by side and you're going after it. So 
now connect that back to video games because how broad of an interest is the video game? Mm-hmm. Okay, you got some thoughts. Go no, ahead. no, go ahead. I was, when you're done, well, I was just done. so that's where I think I think it might be helpful even for our listeners and people who I mean, people want friends. It's this like I think universal in human nature. Everybody wants friends. How do you go about developing friends? Well, I think one thing you might want to do is you don't want a friend. You need to develop something that you like. Mm-hmm. And if it's a little idiosyncratic, that's not necessarily a bad thing, as long as it's not a vice. Yeah. He talks about that, how some people have idiosyncratic vices. Uh, vices. Like groups of friends are built on a thing that they shared in their, their shared interest right. is wrong. Wrong. Right. Yeah. So we don't want that kind of interest. <laughs> so would that be, so th- this is actually a really good, like technological, ethical discussion <clears throat> So like, could a group of friends be a group of friends over video games? Absolutely. And it's a vice? Should it be, mm. or could it be a vice? It could be a vice for sure. Yeah, like a vice of excess. Mm-hmm. Or even a vice of just the game's not a good game. Yeah, so there's a moral quality to it. Mm-hmm. I was even thinking of, so you're kind of getting to the specificity of, yes. the, of the interest. Mm-hmm. So like the more specific you get, the more rare tight-knit, and tight. rare, yeah. unique that that group could be. There's also, I think, like what the thing is, what is it, like video games being the it or some other it, what is its objective value? Yes. So in the grand scheme of something, is there a higher objective value to Greek and Hebrew compared to Call of Duty? Mm-hmm. And because of a change of value, would that then have a, a relationship, a, a direct effect on the, the quality va- or depth of the friendship mm-hmm. yeah you're agreeing and i would say some of my so there was a my, my wife and i went to a college out east word life bible institute and then that summer it was like a one-year bible college and that, that, that summer they they make you work at one of their four camps yeah and it was funny at the end of the summer you're working like 16 hours a day with these people on this camp it's just like a like crazy schedule you're sacrificing you're sharing the gospel and by the end of the summer we were really a close-knit group but we're all very different but i think it's because ministry relationships are often that way and i I wonder if it's what you're saying a depth of value yeah it's the value And, and it's also that it's such a central thing to a christian like we're serving the lord and so like the closer you get to that Okay, now you guys, none of us are really sports people, but there is a connection. Well, what do you, what do you mean when you say that? Like okay, playing well, I'll, or? I'll just take it back. Playing was what I was thinking. Oh, okay. yeah, no. The, I was going to say, I do. But the modern the man sports. doesn't have anything to conquer because, there's, yeah. you know, there's no battles that we fight. Um, but is there something that is connected to sports in the sporting culture that binds, Mm -hmm. that's right. That binds, you know, just like we talk about opposition is true friendship. Yeah. And we are talking, using that phrase in the realm of ideas and philosophy. Yeah. And some might even apply it to poetry, but what about opposition is true friendship when it comes to tennis or Mm -hmm. football? What does he say? The warrior. Yeah. Like to respect your opponent, to like love. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a really interesting one there. But I, I was even thinking like going to the gym with people and it's like you go through, like I have a bunch of friends at the gym that I work out at and I have varying levels of like depth to that. But what's the common bond? The thing is weightlifting and how you become quick friends with those people. But then we have gone to a competition like our gym goes to competitions and there is this weird like you respect those people that you're competing with because you know you do have the shared interest but you also like it's like a weird like love of your opponent like but you want to beat them but you you know like it's unique it's a very I don't know. But when it's somebody from your gym, it's like at that gym, you're competing against one another. Yeah. And that is the opposition is true friendship. So then when you go to the meet, it's now you alongside of your buddy and you're fighting, so to speak, together. I don't know. I'm just... Mm -hmm. Okay. There was another... Because we talked about like... So 
the specificity of something. Mm-hmm. We talked about the value like of it. Mm-hmm. I had another idea in my mind there. Um of like another word that would maybe describe. We talked about the morality of it, I think. Oh, too. the morality. There we go. Yeah. Um but so okay, I don't want to cut anyone off though. I got random thoughts here that aren't connected. Yeah, I'm but done they're connected with that the chapter. One. Okay. I love random unconnected. I might thoughts. I got two two big ones, but I'll just start with one. I think it was talking about the people who want friendship more than anything, mm. but they don't like have a thing. It just and I know this is not gonna hit all our listeners, that's fine, but we, we mentioned this off air, but it reminds me of Michael Scott from The Office, where he just <laughs> wants friendship and no but it doesn't actually have an interest in everything else. And then other yeah. people are just aligning that way. You've probably met someone like that too, where like they just they just want a friend. And and I don't think that's wrong, but I think Lewis is perceptive to say that a lot of times friendships start with the shared interest. Yeah. Well, and even so to use that example. So if you, if you're alienated from the Michael Scott reference, it's someone that needs the affection of other people, <clears throat> desperately wants it. And so he would actually, he's ass- like a Mrs. Fidget. <laughs> yeah. He would assume an interest in something with the primary goal, not of that subject or that interest, but of getting the friend, yeah. getting the affection, getting the love. Mm-hmm. And so like, how often do you see people do that? What their true heart is, is mm-hmm. to get the friend. And so they'll fake a love of, of that thing. And that's exactly what he's talking about there. Like you don't start with, oh yeah, I'm going to have this friendship with someone. So let's start liking all of their things. And my, my thought went to another pop culture reference, Nacho Libre, where there's this girl and he's <laughs> Still like, haven't seen it. he's ah. like, Oh, I might never see it. Oh, wait, no, I'm never. Oh, it, you got to watch it with the right group of people. I don't think I have friend. the right kind of friends. You probably don't. <laughs> but Charlie there's one point me. where he's talking to this girl and it's like, what do you, what do you like to do? And she lists off some things and he goes, oh, those are all of my favorite things too. And the only reason he says it is to get the reciprocal. That's really good. Oh, right? we, we have all this in common. And you know, like when people try to date people, Lewis they talk talks about, about this in this ha- book. Yeah. Having chapter. things in common. Right. And, but how people will fake things in common to yeah. get the friend. And he's telling you that is an empty enterprise. Like but you can't won't actually you learn to like something that somebody else likes. You can, but if you're, if, if you're, if your main to go back to chapter one and two, if your desire underneath is this like need desire for a friend, and it's not like an appreciative love of the thing you're doing. It's lacking appreciative love. Yeah. You're, it's you're, faked. Yeah. Yeah. And so it will, you're crafting something that's not really friendship. But can't you cultivate like a appreciation for coffee? Yeah. Couldn't you cultivate mm-hmm. yeah. that yeah. like? The risk is you may never cultivate it. So what you're saying is there's unintended consequences of your, of your fake attempt at friendship. So like you, you try to befriend someone by assuming all of their likes, even though you don't really like them. And then in the, in the casualties of love and war, you pick up some new likes. Okay. So I, I got, this might be a little longer, but which does happen. I think it'll dovetail with what we're saying here. So this kind of love is, is we've said dependent on similarities of interest specifically. Yeah. And so then what I would say is probably one of the, I don't know if we want to call it the dangers of this kind of love is that this kind of love is as strong as your dedication or interest in the thing that you both share. Right. And as long as you continue to like it. Right. So this kind of a love is dependent on your personality, not ever changing. So like, I know I had friends in high school and we were all interested in the same things, but as our interests changed, we drift apart. And that's not to say this is bad. Yeah. That's not at all. Listener, I'm not saying well, this is bad love, when you get done. but what it made me think about is this is essentially e-harmony's modus operandi. Yeah. So e-harmony is, is making the argument that the best relationships are founded on compatibility and for them, compatibility means similarity, especially of shared interest. And so they have you fill out, it's like an online dating service. 
and they have you fill out a, a questionnaire to talk about like what you like, what you don't like, all that interest. And I'm honest, I'm not saying it's wrong. I know people have met, that's okay. But I just want to make a point here. It is interesting that as you go through that, and that's good, it may put you on a good foot to start a relationship because now you found other people with shared interests, especially the most important ones like what your worldview is and what you love and all that. However, if at any point in the future you change, you're going to have to rely on the other love in the book, agape. And that's where this friendship love is great. And I would even say that if you're married, yep. then finding shared interests is a good thing. It really he honestly talks about is. This. Yeah. Being friends. Yes. With your lover. Yeah. He talks about that. Yeah. Should and I, I read? Go ahead. Read. And then I have more to add, but go ahead. Read the section. Which Hence, I have no experiential knowledge of this, so <laughs> I'm just going to mute my mic. Page 92. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. I'll pick it up here. Hence in a profession like my own where men and women work side by side or in the mission field or among authors and artists, such friendship is common. To be sure, what is offered as friendship on one side may be mistaken for eros on the other with painful and embarrassing results. Or what begins as friendship in both may become also eros. But to say something can be mistaken for or turn into something else is not to deny the difference between them. Rather, it implies it. Rather, it implies it. We should not otherwise speak of turning into or being mistaken for. So he has this whole section about the danger of. I don't know about danger. Well, yeah, danger of confusing these types of loves, this oh, friendship yeah. love and then the romantic yeah. love. Like you get led on for, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you, mis, you misunderstood what I'm the misunder- love was, yeah. Yeah. So I would like to talk about that some more, but anyway, that was the section. So I'll, I'll hit my next thing and then we could go back to that. I think it's the same thing. So, um, he's, so I was thinking about all these things. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, I'm reading this book on marriage by Tim Keller. Mm-hmm. And there's two thoughts. I want to talk about that book in the future. I'm only halfway through it. And I think there's some things I may disagree with at some point. So I want to withhold any major comments on the book other than it's been very helpful. But Keller says the foundation of a marriage is covenant. It is a a commitment to the other person. I think biblically that's Mm -hmm. true. But then he also says one of the main, like the fabric you could even say is friendship. And that's where a lot of times couples need to focus on that part of it. So it's interesting. He says there's a, he's talking about qualities of friendship. He says there's a third quality to this friendship. That's not easy to put into a single word. This, sorry, this is the meaning of marriage page one Oh five. If you're trying to look this up, the right word is literally sympathy, sympathos, a common passion. Oh, interesting. Shared. Okay. This means that friendships are discovered more than they are created at will. Mm. They arise between people who discover that they have common interests in and longings for the same things. Now, Keller is a Lewis buff. Okay. He goes on to say, Ralph Waldo Emerson and C.S. Lewis wrote well-known essays about how a common vision can unite people of very different temperaments. Lewis insisted that the essence of friendship is the exclamation, you too? While erotic love, and he talked about the looking at each other, and he's, he's quoting from this book. And so this chapter we're in, he says this, uh, Keller does, he says, the paradox is that friendship cannot be merely about itself. It must be about something else, something that both the friends are committed to and passionate beside one another. And then he quotes the section we were just talking about. And I did think it was perceptive because then Keller talks about Christian friendship and how that's related to marriage. Um, but what I thought was helpful is he, he says, you should view your spouse as your best friend. Like that should be what you're aiming at. But again, he, even he's recognizing that it has to be based on a covenant. It like mm-hmm. has to be on that yeah. agape commitment. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that, but also imagine if you are in a relationship and there's, you know, you're like, ah, what's going on here? You've got to aim, you got to land on the covenant. Like I'm covenant to this person. Yeah. But then like, are you so wrapped up in your own interests that you're not looking Philippians two to the interests of your spouse Mm -hmm. and vice versa. So I think that's where like, there's maybe some actual like very practical rubber meets road relational stuff here. I wonder if he even misunderstood Lewis. Like he grabbed a couple of quotes from Lewis there because Lewis makes some other statements where it's like on page 94 in neat. Let's see here. Um, 
In neither neighborhood is real friendship between the sexes at all probable. But this, though an impoverishment, would be tolerable, tolerable if it were admitted and accepted. I'm page, I'm on, I am on page 94, by the way. The peculi- peculiar trouble of our own age is that men and women in this situation, haunted by rumors and glimpses of happier groups where no such chasm between the sexes exists, and bedeviled by the egalitarian idea that what is possible for some ought to be, and therefore is, possible to all, refuse to acquiesce in it. So this whole idea of like, I married my best friend, I don't know if Lewis would really be. He's not saying that. What? Keller's not saying that. He's not saying that? No, his next okay. chapter is Loving the Stranger, and he talks about how your mar- your personality okay. often changes. Like, yeah. he said part of the struggle of marriage is you get married when you're young, and he says you have this in love moment. He says it's actually just um, your ego being praised by the fact that someone else likes you. And he's like, once all that goes away, you have your covenant. Right. And then you have, like, your commitment. And he says often people will change personalities throughout their lives as many as four or five times on a big overall sense. And he said, so even though like there is the similarity part, you have to actually decide I'm going to love this person, whoever they are at this moment, even if they change. So I'm just quoting one little part where he's referring to it, but I don't, he he wouldn't say that at all. So, okay. So I think it's interesting. We're using this language of covenant, which I think is right. Marriage is a covenant. Yeah. But there's also another area where we commonly use that term. What am I thinking about? I mean, probably something theological, but but the way way your eyebrow went up, I think it's... Do not voluntary churches covenant around... Oh, yeah. All right. Yep. Church covenant. And and so think think about how kinship in the Christian community is founded. Is it because of shared interests... Like, oh, this Christian over here likes sports or likes this, like, but yeah. the fact, which makes the Inklings really unique because they all theologically disagreed. But to look at your mm-hmm. church right. that you go to, mm-hmm. it's not just that we have been born again. That is a huge part of it. But that your specific local church is organized around a covenant of doctrine and if you do care about that, and I'll just broadly say, if you as a group care about the same truths, how that does unite you as friends. And what, one other thought there is, so like your church, I think our churches should be friends if we really take doctrine seriously. But then this other, this thought of like the condition of friendship being the similar thing. Well, what happens if you build a friendship over a thing And then the thing goes away. Um, And, you know, like, can you not be friends at that point to find something else you can do? And so what what happens? I think Lewis tried to get to this in the opening chapters where it's really hard to like splice out desires and pleasures and loves like they're they're all intermixed. And so at the same time where you'd have a friendship where like, oh, you like that, too. You grow an affection for a person. And then you build a, like a virtue, like an appreciation of who that person mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And they like have some, there's need loves and gift loves associated with like that friend and what they're offering to you, what you're giving to them. There's mutual benefit in the fellowship. And so at some point, the thing is no longer the source and substance. Yes. Yep. Um, and, and I think that quote where he's like, you stand shoulder to shoulder, you fight with them. It's like, use that illustration like you go to war with someone and he, he actually talks about this earlier in the chapter it's like warriors go to war they get done and they realize like we're we're, we're going home and it's like all these men crying and like we're never going to see each other again like what is that it's like once the war is gone can those people hmm. not be friends hmm. and it's like no they have a mm-hmm. they have a, a virtue an appreciation it'll be like, different yeah like mm-hmm. i think in some way that affection and that friendship has morphed into like a genuine, like sacrificial love. Like it, it becomes unconditional. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Now you you can choose to, to unconditionally love someone, but I think affection and friendship over time transform into that as they mingle with virtue. And I, you know, uh, you know, 
if we want to get into a deeper, longer conversation about that shaping of that specific love, and we don't have time for it. But I think that's a, a thing to think through is like, well, what happens if the thing gets taken away? I think that's what's so special about Christian friends is there are doctrines and beliefs to which we hold that, you know, if we love bike riding bikes together and then I get in a car accident, I don't have a leg and I can't ride a bike anymore. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like my, the thing we did together was read, but then let's say like I get brain damage and I can't, I can't do that anymore with you. Like, Oh, friendship over. Yeah. Enjoy your life. Well, no, there's, there's actually very deep, very virtuous things that we hold to that would bind us as Christian friends. Um, that are you know much more valuable than Call of Duty to go back to to close the loop on the video game thing. Anyway, I've got two other thoughts. One, I think we need to highlight in the middle of page seventy eight. He talks about how uh, when you have more people in your group of friends, it brings out different aspects of the friendship. So uh, it states in page seventy eight, Lamb says somewhere that if of three friends. A, B, and C, A should die, then B loses not only A, but A's part in C, while C loses not only A, but A's part in B. His point is that even well, just like... keep going. I know. the next. I got the next one underlined. Because okay, he I'll mentions one of his closest friends yeah, he does. who did die. In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. So that's what even we've noticed with the thinklings and the three of us together. If it's only the two of us together, there's a difference in the relationship. Because when Charlie's not here, then I don't see Andy's relationship to Charlie mm-hmm. and that side of him. The conversation tends to be much more serious when Charlie's not here. What are you trying to say, Bob? <laughs> and I like that side of the relationship too. So anyway, he uses the um, that I, I as feel an. Like this illust- is a no comment moment for me. No, it's it's true though. It's very very true, and that's why sometimes people are like, "Well, I don't want that person there because then I don't, I won't have this friend all to myself." Oh no, I think you should want that other person there. Uh, because then you see a different side of your friend that's drawn out from that other person. It, I think it, it enhances the relationship. Okay. Now coming later on, this is where I think he almost, it's like, because some friendship, well, let's just say later on, he talks about woman and how he doesn't want the woman around. Can, can I just say, so to for, further bolster my idea that when he mentions four people in that quote, yeah. He mentions two there that are direct Ronald. people. Ro- and Charles. Roland would be, or not Roland. Ronald. Ronald is J.R.R. Tolkien. That's one of mm-hmm. the R's. And Charles is Charles Williams. Yep. And the one he's leaving out would be Owen Barfield, which we know is probably his earliest collegiate friend. Mm-hmm. And so like, I think he is referring to that warrior, the poet, the philosopher, like those four. I think he is thinking about- so who's the warrior? The only thing know. about the warrior, Well, they Charlie? all fought in yeah, world the, wars. That's the thing is, the only oh, thing about okay. the warrior is- where I'm not totally convinced of that is that he was in the war with his own battle brothers and then he got injured yep. and got out. So he may be thinking of someone from Or he the could war. be thinking of like Warney, like his brother. Oh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. But okay. I, 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 I would be hard pressed to think he's not, when he writes the warrior and the poet, he's like, the poet is Owen Barfield who wrote a book on yeah. poetry. And then, you know, hmm. like, like I, I had, I have to believe he's thinking through you know, hmm. yeah. Anyway, so friends have to have something that binds them together. Later on, he talks about woman and how he basically doesn't want the ladies around, which is interesting in light of Amen. Lewis, Lewis's life as primarily a man that was single for most of his life. Amen. <laughs> and uh, and so anyway, I'm going to just read this because we need to wrap this up. Um, it is only the riffraff of each, of each sex that wants to be incessantly hanging on the other. So he's like, there's a component of human nature that wants to be men with men and the woman with the woman. He says, live and let live. By the way, I'm on page 98. They laugh at us a good deal. That is just as it should be, where the sexes, having no real shared activities, can meet only in affection and eros, cannot be friends. It is healthy that each should have a lively sense of the other's absurdity. 
Indeed, it is always healthy. So kind of interesting, uh, considering some of the conversations that we've had on the podcast about men and women, the relationship between the genders and the changes that have transpired, like our culture would find this, I believe, sexist. They would not like what he has to say here at all, where there can't really be a friendship between a man and a woman. Um and anyway, that, that's one thing that I wanted to highlight. And then the last thing that I wanted to just highlight was um, the relationship of friendship to uh, God's relationship to man and man's relationship to God. And page 100, he talks about how affection, I'm going to read, affection is taken as the image when God is represented as our father. Eros, when Christ is represented as the bridegroom of the church. But he notes how the relationship as friend, it is there in the Bible, but it's de-emphasized, comparatively speaking, to affection, which would be like the fatherly, and then the eros, which would be like the allegory between Christ and an example, illustration, uh, Christ and the church. So those were just a couple of things that I thought were interesting that I wanted to highlight here at the end. So uh, what we want to do this time is uh, phileo, the word for friendship, does occur in the Greek New Testament a number of times. So what I want to do is I want to look at three, excuse me, five verses very quickly where this word occurs and it will give us a picture of the biblical usage of the word. And I, I think then we can take our conversation and these Bible verses and it should give us something to meditate on and to renew our minds over. So <clears throat> first of all, you got two forms of this word in Greek. You've got the verb form and the noun form. And they essentially mean the same thing. So the verb form's definition from our fancy dictionary is to have special interest in someone or something, frequently with a focus on close association. So that almost mirrors like I exactly what Lewis was saying. There's a shared interest in something. And then the noun itself is just having a special interest in someone or just the word friend is how you would translate it. So I went ahead and looked uh, in the Bible. Where do I see the verb or the <laughs> or the um, noun form? And in John fifteen nineteen, and it's funny. Three of these are coming from John. It's more than just in John, but John does use the word a lot. Verse uh, John fifteen nineteen says, "If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own." Now, right there, it's not agape. It is phileo. So the idea is that if you were of the world, you would be like the world, and then it would therefore have a special interest in you. But then he says, because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So that's interesting because hate occurs when you're not like the world. But if you were like the world, that interest, that similarity would make you loved. In verse in chapter 5 of John, verse 20, it says, for the father loves the son. That's actually phileo. That's like friendship love and shows him all that he himself is doing. And so there's a similarity there. John 16, 27 says for the father loves father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So it's interesting because a lot of times uh, phileo is used in times where maybe we might expect it to be agape. So it's definitely not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And then I did Take a quick look at the Septuagint or a Septuagint. And uh, interestingly enough, in Genesis 27, 26, then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, son. And so this word does at times refer to kissing, which is, it was a... um, It's in the song. Yeah. And I was going to say, that's probably something. Because when I looked up arrows... It's a a verb. It's phileo to kiss. Yes, phileo. Phileo, yeah, it, it means also to kiss. I didn't read that part of the definition. Yeah, that's why I didn't. We didn't get into the whole romantic movement, but this yeah. relationship between kissing and yeah. mm-hmm. friendship. It, when I looked up eros and I didn't find it anywhere in the Bible, I immediately thought I should see it in the song of songs. And so mm-hmm. I went to the song, and it was like phileo regularly. Mm-hmm. Right. Now this is the last one. Words are fun. I know, aren't they? <laughs> so here's the last one in James four four. Okay, poet. <laughs> it <laughs> says. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world, and that's our word here, philia, is enmity or being an enemy with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend, a philos, of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I think maybe that's something we could ponder. 
What would make you a friend in this sense of the world? Well, I think it would be a shared interest. Yeah. Now the world loves bread and it loves to eat and be um, not malnourished. Well, that's not the kind of similar interest I think the Bible's talking about. But this gets to your point earlier, Charlie, that the value of the thing that you share in common, mm. that is very powerful. And so the world, what is it interested in? Well, I think you could think of Romans 1 and suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Uh, I think you could think of the idolatry passages in the Old and New Testament. I think you think of the self-will and the desire to do what I want to do. I think you could even look at Lewis here and his great desire to have no one interrupt his life. Hmm. He just wanted his life. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. And if you were going to be an intrusion or an interruption, that bothered him. I think part of loving the Lord is saying, I'm going to serve God no matter what. And so that would be very anti-world. Well, and so what I love about that, it's James 4, correct? James 4, 4. So the inverse is true. Yes. Yes. So if you are friends with the world, you have a shared interest in worldly things, mm -hmm. you're an enemy of God, which, so if you're an enemy, you are not a friend of God. So yeah. what would it be, you're what would opponent. it mean to be a friend you're of God? Mm -hmm. You would have the shared interests of God. Yes. Second. And so you see mm -hmm. that there are two types of desires. Mm -hmm. And one is, according to James 4, it's a very adulterous, mm -hmm. um, uh, contentious, mm -hmm. pride-filled vanity. Mm -hmm. and, and John and First John talks about this too. Mm -hmm. Pride of life, the lust of my eyes, the lust mm -hmm. of my flesh. And that actually God has a different value system, a different interest that you should have. And our bond with him is strained when I have a different value system. Mm -hmm. So like to, to be a friend of the world, I'm not a friend of God. Yeah. And what would make me a friend of God is like, oh, hey, you like that? Mm -hmm. I like that too. Yeah. That's really interesting, especially in light of that last quote where mm -hmm. he drew the comparison with affection between yeah. God and mm -hmm. father and, well, and Eros. And what would, what would we say would be like the chief concerns of God? So I wonder if he's really being very biblical when he makes that statement, because there is the component of friend there, yeah, well, but he says it's a de-emphasis. It's not a strong component, but it is a true component. So I think as we think, you know, you, you, James four doesn't use the term, but I, I would but the put the ideas there. there two two words of things that are very valuable, like in God's ordering of of what is objectively valuable, and I think you could say it is either His holiness mm -hmm. or His glory. Mm -hmm. And so, like when we say like we quip of like doing things for the glory of God, like if you actually have that value that God's glory as the highest value is really what you love. Like it, it, maybe in a more metaphoric sense, but in, I think truth, like that would make you a friend of God because you know what God really cares about mm -hmm. his glory, mm -hmm. his holiness. Yep. And when you care about that, you're his friend. And when you don't, and you know, the world shocker doesn't love holiness. Mm -hmm. And when you love the things the world loves, guess who you're not a friend of? Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. like the shared interest is gone. Yep. And you know, thankfully we have ways to remedy those situations. And it goes back to the need love. It's like we find ourselves in that position all the time, but it's, it's a really interesting. Yeah. I, I, James, I use James for all the time. I don't think I've ever really. Yeah. Caught on the friend. Component. Come into that friendship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but. it was interesting. So I definitely thought this was a helpful study this this time. I thought it was interesting. So I don't know, where, what do we want to leave the listener with? What be a be, friend yeah. of God. <laughs> be a friend of God. Or also cultivate friends, and how do you do that? Fight with them. You, you have to have <laughs> an aboutness. With them. You have to have an aboutness, whatever the about yeah. so like find is. The thing you find something right. you're like, so you have that phrase, like, are you willing to die on that hill? Find the hill that you're willing to die on. <laughs> And fight for that hill. <laughs> Another. And then read about that hill. Make sure it's a virtue, not a vice. And then argue about that hill. <laughs> and then pray about that hill. <laughs> and if it's not a you're hobbit horrendous. hill, I you, said, cho you chose wrong. <laughs> I just had one other thought, though. Let's say you're trying to reach out to someone to serve them and to love them well. Yeah. 
and you have nothing in common, then believer who wants to love that other person, don't consider your own interests. Yeah. yeah. Consider theirs. Yeah. Like maybe you don't like yeah. basket weaving. Learn to like it for their sake and there so is that you can love them and, right. and serve your fellow person made in God's image. Well, that's, that's, I'm glad that's, you said it perfectly. I was <clears> going to say, when you don't have a thing you like, you have a substance in common. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like you're made in the image of God. And if they're a believer, um, or at least you want them to be a believer, you've got a really good, mm-hmm. you know, even unbelievers typically have a shared interest in what's going to happen to them when they die. So, yes. Anyway. So I'm just, I'm going to say it again. Fight with them. <laughs> Read with them. On the Hobbit Hill. Argue with them. Pray with them. We'll, we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.